You're listening to the Moments of Clarity podcast by Six Seconds Europe. Hello, my name is Fergal O'Keefe and you're very welcome to the podcast where we will feature global experts on leadership, change and emotions, sharing their real life experiences and how they've used emotional intelligence to see the world and themselves more clearly. Every Wednesday, I will ask my guest for three moments from their life that led to a light bulb moment of clarity on how to leave their life for the better. This podcast is produced by Six Seconds Europe, who are part of the global non-profit Six Seconds and who are dedicated to growing awareness of emotional intelligence. Six Seconds Europe supports individuals, teams and organisations to develop and practice emotional intelligence to increase personal and organisational effectiveness. For further information on Six Seconds and EQ, please see our website, sixseconds.org eu. My guest today is Sanderson Jones, who is a social entrepreneur, keynote speaker, comedian and innovator. Sanderson is a really interesting character who talks today about his moments of clarity, including his stand-up comedy career, setting up the Sunday Assembly movement, which is adapting the congregational community in a secular and inclusive style, and being diagnosed as an adult with ADHD and his lifefulness business. So Sanderson Jones, you're very welcome to the podcast. I've been wanting to catch up with you for a long time. I know you from... A couple of years ago, I don't know how long ago, but it was a good few years ago as a it comedian. Was, yes. I brought to Clonmel for my comedy festival. I, I remember going to Clonmel. It was uh, so. The, and the thing which we will have to say is a bit different about my show. I had to sell every single ticket by hand. And that was the thing. And I'm just going to say that selling tickets on the mean streets of Clonmel compared to selling tickets in the bustling, desperate for a comedy show Edinburgh Festival was a... I'm gonna, there were times I didn't um, let it on. There was times it was a long week, <laughs> but the show was really fun. It's yeah. everything's a learning experience. Exactly. And that brings us, that's how I got to know you first was actually in Edinburgh at yeah. the comedy festival there. There's a fringe festival. So that's where you started, was it? Uh, yeah, so that's where I started. And in uh, keeping with the idea of mm-hmm. moments of clarity, it was actually when we met in the... Uh, in the this courtyard, the Pleasance Courtyard. Yeah. So that's where the center point of the festival, everyone's there having a drink, what have you. And over the years, when I started out, I was the comedian, always enjoyed flyering. Uh, I thought well, it's a there's a lot of chance in this. Get good at this and at least I can get people in my show. And then I got good at that. And then one year I can remember when I was in Melbourne, I saw someone selling tickets and I was like, oh, wow, imagine selling your own tickets. No one's expecting that. It was. And so then I, I did that one, one year. And at the end of that year, I sold 600 tickets. I said, Oh, God, imagine how funny it would be if I'd sold all 600 tickets to one show, because there was me like early open mics, get just getting started comic. And then I'd do a show with in front of 600 people, but I've met them all before. And then I thought, well, that's a funny idea. What happens if I did it? And so I did it and uh, created this show where I sold all the tickets by hand and it ended up being the thing which got me an agent. It got me uh, sort of doing it for full time. And then it uh, ended up sort of playing the Sydney Opera House, having sold all the tickets by hand. So, yeah, that was a sort of moment of clarity. It was it started as a joke. Oh, wouldn't that be funny? It, oh, it'd be funny and it could be possible. 
I mean, was that that was the start of your comedy career then, wasn't it? That was the start of the publicly visible uh, anyone caring uh, part of my comedy career. Uh, you know, you, you're doing a lot of stuff earlier. Uh, getting getting better. So then I had this show where I sold all the tickets in person. It was really fun. And I uh, sort of took it around Australia, learning how to do it. Uh, and uh, But at the end of my time in Australia, it was quite funny when those moments when you think, oh, well, I've nailed it. Because I would, it was one of the happiest times of my life, particularly in Melbourne, where I would uh, work on Thursday, Friday and Saturday night, uh, in terms not gigging, but I just go to these, there's a couple of streets, which are really fun, Brunswick street and Smith street. They're just great. And start at one end, chat to people, just, <laughs> I, th I think I could have been Irish in another lifetime. <laughs> if it's just approaching people, shooting the shit. And then, uh, and then they're just not expecting to buy a ticket off you. So I got to know people very well. I got to know the pubs very well, got invited back to the pub lock-ins. And I would do that on Thursday, uh, Thursday and Friday, maybe on Saturday if it was needed, and then do a show on Wednesday and, uh, and go and research all these people online, create these unique experiences. And it was really, really fun and so uh yeah so when i left australia i was like no i'm just going to go to do london and uh do the do the same thing uh except in london uh people don't like people approaching them so that was uh suddenly uh, it turned out that business model is very australian focused you know i've been following your career over the last few years since then and you've had an amazing like varied career and you're an amazing guy for projects so the next one, your moment of clarity, which is, a, I think people find it really interesting, mm. the Sunday Assembly. Yeah. And so How that, did that come about? What is that? To let people well, know? What is that? So Sunday Assembly is, uh, comes from this really simple idea. It's like, can you do something which is like church uh, with uh, out the God bits where people, you know, and we'd always say people who are religious are still welcome to, you know, we celebrate life whether you think that uh, comes from the cold, uncaring universe or some beneficent de deity, in which case, you know, well, particularly well done. You've got life and you've got heaven. Oh, <laughs> go you. You know, this idea, like, can you do it? And I think it was even in Melbourne, again, going back to that, uh, when uh, in a pub called The Black Pearl, I told a friend of mine about it and I'd already spoken to Pippa about it. She's like, mate, you've got to do that. You've got to do that. So then I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And we started working towards it. And then I was working with this amazing comedian called Pippa Evans. And we did the first one on Sunday, the 6th of January, 2013. And so instead of hymns, there's pop songs, instead of sermons, a Ted style talk, instead of prayer, there was well, actually there was a moment of silence. But because I was a comic and silence was just antithetical to everything that I did, I was like, now we're going to have a moment of silence. Thank you. <laughs> it was meant to be negligible uh, or maybe just really a moment with someone, maybe the most literal moment of silence that anyone's yeah. ever done. And so we did that. And like for me, that was another moment of clarity. I think I was uh, cycling up Copenhagen Street after I'd gone to see my my aunt for lunch, a big family lunch after having done it. And I was doing the performing that I loved, but there was this extra element to it because it was about the things which are important. It was about community. In fact, when my, I had the comedy show, the, the comedy show where I sold the tickets by hand, we would have community meetups. There'd be board game meetups, there'd be barbecues. We went to the Bolo, uh, <laughs> Australian for bowling club. 
and so I can remember cycling up this hill thinking, I've got this email, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And, and there was interest. One thing was that we called it the atheist church, which is sort of true, but also, you know, when, you know, it was also welcoming of people who are religious. It was, uh, uh, it's a, it's a gathering, it's a congregation. And so, but that phrase, which I included because I knew it would get attention, boy, did we not know how well that was going to work. It got picked up by every single magazine and newspaper under the sun. And then when people got interested, we put this thing on the website saying, if you want where one where you are, then we'll help you do it. Yeah, so then people said they wanted one and we started helping people start their own secular churches. And I became a secular, self-appointed secular vicar. And which is means that I now do lots and lots of different things and started Sunday Assembly. It, uh, there's now 35 uh, across the world. Uh, the that is that's very impressive. But at one stage there were 70. Uh, so uh, had we take a, but I mean, it goes to show that, you know, starting congregations is very hard. There was always a ceiling on what it could achieve. But I will also say that there was also a ceiling on what it could achieve just because of me. Yeah. And there will be some people who are perfectly suited to uh, doing a job which involves lots and lots of logistics and staying in touch with thousands of people across the world. And that is not me. And it was really, there were times that it was just impossibly hard because there are the parts of the job that I really loved doing, which is sort of the public speaking, the creating, connecting with people, when there's not enough resources in an organization, you sort of don't really have time to do that. So it ends up becoming something where you, you don't have time to do the things that you want to in life. Mm -hmm. And instead you spend your time doing the things which you are, you don't like and are bad at, uh, and that leads on to the sort of next moment of but just before we go to yeah, that, go I just it. wanted to ask you about the Sunday assembly because it was one of the reasons why I, I thought of you was I was on the Camino in Spain mm. over the last few weeks. And um, you know, you kind of when you're so when you're doing it, you know, there's a very strong kind of spiritual feel while you're on yeah. the Camino, but it isn't necessarily or it doesn't have to be to do with God. It can be like one of the guides I had was Peruvian and she talked about uh, Pachamama, which mm. is in, in, in Peru, the, the Mother Earth that they, yeah. they, and I was go, you know, so anytime I'm in nature, when I'm walking, I have a very strong spiritual feel to nature. And that reminded me of Sunday assembly. Mm. So I was interested in like what the atmosphere was like at it. Was it a kind of, would you call it spiritual or was it uplifting or? Yeah. Well, I think that we get into a huge area of complication around these words mm. because traditionally there has been one set of language, which uh, describes like what is a sensation, you know, yeah. that sort of spiritual feeling. And if you're religious, you call it God. Uh, and, you know, I can imagine the early man will have like stood next to a waterfall and it's like the ground's trembling and you've got this feeling in you and you're like, then you go, oh, well, there's a waterfall spirit. And you look at the sky and it feel, it transforms your sensation. And that's because you're speaking to the, uh, the stars. And so the most logical explanation of these things was sort of a 
religious explanation. And so, you know, when we start to have them and it's like, it's really hard to know because you're like, Oh, I've got this part of me, which is just really like when you have that feeling, I'm sure it feels most like you, you're like, this is, it gives you calm. It gives you wisdom. It connects you. We're on an emotional intelligence podcast. It gets you out of your brain and into your body. And I would say that that could be called a spiritual feeling. And in fact, that's why the Camino exists. Because if you go for a walk for a long period of time and you believe in God, you it is a way for God to talk to you. And also, you know, during pagan times, they were doing the Camino, but they were going west towards the sunset. Yeah. You know? and so, so again, these these activities that you do, which cause these feelings inside, which if you're religious, you will call God. In fact, if you're not religious, they are you still have them. And then we but we don't really have a language for it. We might go, you say, I really like walking. I love being in nature. And one of the problems with that is that we then you're like, but then when I'm out of it, how do you get back in touch with it? And so, in fact, what religions are really good at, and they say, look, you can go and have this thing on the Camino, but then when you get back, you also have this individual technique, contemplative technique called prayer, which if you do that, you sort of get into a similar state because, in fact, this state is called God and you can access it anywhere. So that's one of the and then what you can do is you can also go to a congress in order to make it come alive. You also go to a congregation and that's where you sing songs and you get into rituals and and then you can also get in touch with it. And so I would say that like, God is an amazing metaphor for emotional intelligence. And they have developed a series of embodied practices, which allow you to connect with the wisdom which is inside yourself. And, and one of the best ways of doing that is by coming up with a name for it. And so when you people go and they get these ways of contemplating, they're letting everything else disappear. There's one of my, there's a guy I love called Meister Eckhart, who's a theologian. And he talks about uh, the ground of your being, which is basically you without, you're not Fergal, the father, the businessman, you're, you're just like when you are on the Camino, you're just, everything's boiled off. And there's just an essence. There's something you're beyond all the labels. And, and then when you get into that, well, that's a way of like, you know, you're getting responses from your body, you're getting responses from your intelligence without the things which are getting in the way. And so, yeah, I, I, that's one of the things that like, just one of, I always talk about one aspect of uh, lifefulness and secular relig congregations. I go, that's why I love it. And then I do the next thing I go, and that's why I love it because it's also yeah. got, it's also got events where you sing songs and you have a laugh and it's great fun. It's also got dinner <laughs> in it. And it also involves yeah. going for amazing walks in, in Spain. And it's, yeah. It's such a rich thing to go and examine. And once you, and for me, once I started to have this label, I was like, okay, when people say God told me, they don't mean God. They mean they have taught some techniques which have let them get in touch with their own inner whims wisdom. And then they're speaking from there. When I was on the walk, there was one day where, uh, you know, there these Camino signs and there was a bit of graffiti on the sign saying, ask your shadow and then you walked around the corner and the sun was over on the other side so <gasps> the sun 
put your shadow up on the wall. So you're walking along and your shadow is walking along beside you. And I was just going, that sums up perfectly because really it's ask yourself for the answer. I think it was ask your, ask the shadow for your answer. And it was really ask yourself. And I summed it up. Yeah, and I think it's even because the self is, you know, the research that there's no actually real idea of the self, is there? There's lots of your, there's different selves and there's, uh, you know, it can feel that way. And so you're even going sort of past these different ideas of yourself even. And you're, you know, you've got a way of accessing sort of the, the complexity of, you know, you, which is also like held okay. between different people like yeah. you are yeah so I mean, it's I'm, so like we, it. so just we, we talk about these moments of clarity or that cause a change mm. in your life but the answers are always within you it's just yeah. accessing it yeah and sometimes they like it can be really hard to get them or even hard to put them into action because i think that's another one of the things which is mm. i keep on going that why the congregation is good as it goes you know the insight is one is only one part of it mm. like in how many times have you gone and uh watched a film or read a yeah. book and you're like i'm gonna go and do this yeah. but the congregation is built on this idea that it's actually really hard to put that into action yeah. you need to have that group of people around you that's why i think the devil is a really interesting idea because it's basically saying there's as a design principle you know it's basically saying imagine if there was a person who was trying to do everything in their power to make you cock up Okay, and that's probably you. <laughs> and now how would you design your life to go and give you all the support you need against this fiendish beast? And you'd say, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and uh, think every day about what's important. I'm going to go and try to notice uh, if the devil, aka your, your own impulses, uh, are making you do something. I'm going to then come together in a group of people. I'm going to share about the times when I did something wrong and they're going to say it's okay. Uh, you know, you can't be perfect. It's a goddamn devil. Is it? You're forgiven. You're going to create a space where you can sort of wipe that away. You're going to. So, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's really hard to go and yeah. put that insight into action. And speaking about action, your next moment of clarity about being able to act on things. Are they, is that connected? Am I right? Yeah, in saying that? so that's what we're speaking about. And it connects to one, the difficulty of putting things into action. Also, the what I felt that need for me for Sunday assembly was to be surrounded by like to be surrounded by people and also people who could help you stick to things in life. I can remember speaking to someone uh, about it, describing it as, oh yeah, that it could be a bit like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, but for life, <laughs> you know, where you're just getting support that you need. And, and then in Sunday assembly, it would be, you know, I started this thing in order to go and, uh, you know, help people live life as fully as possible, because there's a bit of me, which is like, how, why is it that I try really hard? My comedy show you saw, I remember mm -hmm. in that, I, there was a line I had, which is like my, uh, and I would change it depending on what opinion I had of myself is like my ambitions are broadband, but my skills are dial up. Or then sometimes I'd say my motivation or, or my, whatever it was. And, and so in 2018, I think it's 2018, my wife, who is a psychologist, you know, she, I mean, she, she got me to, well, she didn't get me. I, I decided to go and have a uh, test for ADHD and then 
ended up being diagnosed with ADHD and it was, yeah, it was just really, really helpful to have a, you know, like a diagnosis because it gives you such a huge explanatory power that all of my report cards had been, uh, we just called them reports. Report cards are sort of from America, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All my school reports, I'll make sure that I'm sticking uh, on it. My math report card. Ugh. Uh, and uh, so all of my school reports were generally, he hasn't tried, must try harder. And I, I say this not as a, to show off about how smart I was, but more to make a point about how, you know, how disappointed I was in myself and the people around me were when I could speak cogently on every subject, pick things up instantly, sort of do the work at the last minute relatively well, but everyone knew I wasn't really trying. I knew I wasn't trying. And, and that is a nightmare. Like, even if I go and think about stand up, it would be I found it really hard to write. I found it really, I'd get on stage and when I got, but there were, in fact, even in stand up, there's, uh, there's not only the stand up, there's also getting your poster ready on time. There's all these little things which I can do. Some of them I even like doing, but I would find really, really hard. And so getting the ADHD diagnosis, which sort of goes and explains why those things can be hard, uh, why, and has strategies for how to improve them. And then also, you know, one of the issues is that if your whole life, uh, people have been telling you that uh, you should be better and you've been thinking that yourself, then in fact, those, that attitude also seeps in and makes it, you know, does not help you achieve things. So yeah, that was, uh, that was a big moment of clarity. Was there a sense of peace then when you got the diagnosis uh, or makes sense. There's then. a lot of things which happen. There's, there's that sense of self-compassion where you start to understand it a bit more. There's like an explanatory power. You go and say, okay, these are some things which I find difficult. Uh, there are, there is a, there's also this sadness that you try hard not to turn into anger. Uh, I think we're probably when I was so I'm 40 now when I was at school, I reckon ADHD was probably in the sort of situation where dyslexia was 20 years before. Yeah. And so it was, you know, there's a bit of, oh, God, I really, you know, that feeling that there were opportunities, which, you know, you work really hard to get the opportunity, but then suddenly there's more work after it. And then that gets overwhelming. I'm not quite able to do it. So, so there's that sort of sadness. And the fact that even though you get the diagnosis, it doesn't mean it's like if you get diagnosed with depression, it doesn't just mean you're then happy. Mm -hmm. You know, there's then other stuff which you've still got to do. And, you know, I can plan my work life to concentrate on the things I like doing and look forward to. Uh, and then be like, oh, well, it, when it comes to logistics, I'll get a producer. Last one is, and this is something when we had the moments of clarity that it was, I mean, only in the past three or four weeks, or it was this idea that I had, which was a moment of clarity, but like the moment I've started doing it is so obvious. So with this idea of lifefulness and trying to spread it, so that's the idea of you can, if you look at Sunday Assembly as secular congregations, what would be the methodology, what would be the practice, which would enable other people to go and start their own, which has got a different name. So that's what we called lifefulness. And so in fact, if you think about it, 
well, that could be done in prisons or it could be done in businesses or it could be. And so I've been taking it into businesses. And, and then I had this realization after going to wilderness festival and doing my first event, uh, since the end of the pandemic. And I was like, you know, well, I just want to do as many events as possible. And it took me a while to sort of get around. That was in August. And it just really, when a few things got lined up and I was just reaching out to people and saying, this is what I do. I now do, I'm going to focus on doing retreats. That's me and my element coming together, creating, connecting, creating an atmosphere for remote and hybrid teams, or just away days and gatherings around important things for companies. And it is, and it's weird. Like that is the thing which people pay me the most for. Uh, and that I love doing the most and is really linked to my mission, except I had a few blockers around it. Like I was like, oh no, when you're a facilitator, you're not really a, you're not a public speaker and you're not a comedian. What are you doing? You're like, you're the MC. And so there's like some like judgment on it. And then I thought, actually, if you really want to make a difference in the world, then you going to do events isn't uh, like, that can't be done all over the world. And I was like, and then once I clicked, I was like, well, actually, if I go and speak to people who are in these positions of power and help them have events and help them be able to communicate, well, then I can suddenly go and reach loads of people in these places. And so literally deciding to do that just was like ducks going into a row uh, or even like that Tetris block falling into place. Suddenly there were folk who were friends of mine, even who I hadn't necessarily reached out to about lifefulness as a way of your uh, the operating system for culture in a purpose driven organization, uh, and creating a tech platform for, you know, I wasn't getting in touch with them about that. But then I could just be like, this is what I do. This is a thing. And it is amazing that when you go and get that aligned, it just all follows through. And so that was the one which is most recent and you feel daft because you're like, how, how did it take me so long to know? Yeah. And can you just explain it for people then that that like yeah. that, that idea of that retreat? Then, yeah. So I'm then, very interested uh, in that. yeah. So then, so lifefulness is this idea that you could, in the same way that if you think about it, Cadbury's and Bourneville were Quaker businesses. You know, they really lived out their values. So that was what like a religious organization looks like. You can think of religious schools, and they've got that sense of purpose, cohesion. They've got these practices they do that bring everyone together, and so taking the lessons we learned at Sunday assembly and bringing them into a workplace, we think can go and give people that sense of meaning and belonging. And so I've been doing it in, you know, Apple, uh, Selfridges, uh, sustainability agency called Salter Baxter, the body shop. And, but then there was this one thing, which is, you know, there's retreats like nowadays in this age of remote work and hybrid work, the companies which have been doing it the longest have got retreats as a core part of it. And really, it's basically looking at them and saying these away days, if you're separated, should be like a church for your culture. This is the place you gather. It's a place where you can people can experience it, where they feel it at an emotional level. They're not just receiving a sort of in, like a mouse mat about it. And they and so that's really what it's concentrating on. So the idea being that I can go in and do these, but then there's in the end. There will be the things which we can do before and the things that we can do afterwards and to grow from this place which where i can go and create this space can go and give you know for, because i've got a unique background i've like 
can speak the language of business. I've the language of personal development and sacredness and important, and I'm a comic. So it's, you know, like often in team building, people hear the word team building. They're like, oh my God, I'm going to have to fall backwards into the arms of my MD or whatever it is. And so, uh, or people it's too serious or it's too a bit lentily to use a word, but yeah, actually these can be done in a way which, uh, you don't have to compromise connection versus fun, business versus uh, sort of, uh, you know, values or whatever it might be. And so that's what I've really been looking on and doing. And it's been uh, it's been really fun. I hope you enjoyed our guest this week. I would ask that you please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that a new episode will appear in your library every week. I would also really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review so that others discover this podcast. For more information on emotional intelligence and how Six Seconds Europe can help you, please go to sixseconds.org eu. Take care and see you next week. You are listening to Moments of Clarity, Journeys with EQ by Six Seconds Europe.